grew up uh, in a neighbourhood where the streets were, uh, all the houses were on quite a busy main road, but out the back of all of our properties were big sections, which you probably had in your childhood. Uh, and uh, there were probably about 10 houses in our kind of row, and I would say eight of them had families. So it was the kids all played across any of those backyards quite easily. I'm the youngest in my family, and some of the families were older than ours. So uh, there were lots of big kids to look after the little ones, and lots of little ones to enjoy the big kids. I can remember quite vividly um, making lots of rockets and towers and constructions out of dad's saw horses and planks and buckets and brooms and hose and rakes and anything we could lay our hands on. We had a tree to climb. We had an old um, railway carriage that was our, sometimes it was our sort of uh, doll's house, but often it was a museum with live specimens in it, skinks and other things. Uh, but all of us, we lived, we lived near the river. This is in New Plymouth, and we lived near the Waiwakaiho River. And it's one of those rivers that's quite rocky and shallow most of the time. So a lot of our play was actually down at the river. And I don't recall adults being with us when we played down there. There were just enough big kids to keep the little ones safe. So we made endless rock pools, we dammed up channels, so we changed the river, we, there was bamboo, we made huts in there. We just spent a lot of time unsupervised by adults down at the river. So we learned a lot about keeping ourselves safe, uh, about taking risks, about being creative, um, playing imaginary games. We had to learn to negotiate with all the kids so that you could stay in the game and not have people too grumpy. The only time I remember us getting in trouble with any of the neighbourhood families was the time that the doctors and nurses play happened and it got a bit too real and one of the mums was a little bit upset about what happened to their child but that was okay. But probably in the last 40 or so years that kind of play has really diminished for children and I don't know how we got to this point where we think it's not safe for children to be out of our sight and it's not safe for children to play until after dark and it's not safe for children to be too far away and it's not safe for them to bike here and it's not safe for them to do that. Not quite sure why that happened, but it certainly has, hasn't it? And children now uh, are very adult controlled. So if they go to play with a friend, it's quite likely that a parent will take them there at an allotted time. They'll have two hours and then they'll pick them up and bring them home. So there's not a lot of freedom for the child in what they're doing. They'll be busy going to sports that are organised by adults, music lessons that are run by adults, um, dancing lessons and all sorts of other things. So children's lives are not very free. They're very controlled by adults. And what they're missing out on is all those things we learn to do to negotiate, to compromise, to take risks, to learn how to be safe yourself. And so when they come to school, there's a lot of very frightened children, about frightened about getting things wrong, frightened about trying new things because they're not sure what will happen and they don't know what will happen if they fail or if they fall. Uh, and that's quite a barrier to their learning 
actually, because if they're not going to try something that's difficult, then there's a lot of just sitting, waiting as if the learning's just going to fall on top of them. Um, those of you who are teachers um, will remember long ago there was a thing called developmental play in schools for the juniors, and somehow we lost that as well. You know, every school had a carpentry table and a water tray and all that kind of things, and I don't know why, but they disappeared. Well, fortunately, it's starting to come back. Life, nothing really is new, life goes in cycles, and people are noticing this uh, anxiety amongst children and their lack of creativity, way too much time in front of screens, um, just their lack of freedom, and trying to revitalise that in schools. It's certainly been part of what they do in early childhood education, but then for some reason you're four years and 364 days old and you're playing at kindy, you're five years old and you don't play anymore except in the allotted times. You have to learn to sit and to be quiet and to do what the teacher tells you to do. And you come to school and the learning is directed by the adults. So children are learning things they may not want to learn and probably they're not actually learning them if they don't want to. And they're answering questions that are not their own, they're questions that are posed by adults. The new name for play these days is learning through play or play-based learning. And I'm really excited that I've started on a journey of doing that in my classroom this year. And part of my learning has been to go and look at some other schools. So this week I went to Apanui School in Kapitani, and what a great place. They've got about, they about 35 kids in their new entrant class with a couple of teachers. And they have given those freedom, the children to play most of the day, and the adults move quite energetically from one group to another, listening, joining in if they need to sort of stimulate some more thinking going on in the play. If the play's going well, they just watch and observe. And they're capturing what the children are learning as they play. And there's an awful lot of science and technology and cooperation and negotiation going on, and the teachers will just highlight that and say, wow, oh, I can see you guys are really negotiating here, who's going to have the next turn and things. So the teacher's role is to show the children the things that they're learning, but the children are directing the play. And what they've done at Nui is to take away the out-of-bounds rules. So the children are trusted to go anywhere in their part of the school, even where adults can't see them. And the adults do scoot around a bit, but there's some areas behind the classroom and there's a little bush area, and the children have the freedom to go there. And I only saw a few children come and talk to the adults, and if it was a problem, the adults immediately said, you can't sort that out. And they didn't come and help at all, just making the children go and do that work for themselves. So it's pretty exciting that that's happening. And it's starting now to grow up through other levels of the school so that the older kids also have more time to play and explore and to learn the things that they need to learn at the right time. We did have the chance to do that when we were little. And so we've learned how to manage failure and how to take risks without falling apart. But my gosh, some of you 
taken amazing risks in your lives. People who moved from one country to another and left so much behind. Some are, we've got some in our congregation who came when they were 18 from England to here and thinking that they may never go back. What a risk that was. You know, I don't think we would have been thrilled if an 18-year-old kid had sent them off. May not see you again. We would have thought that's way too young. Um, there's the risks that you take when, when you stop doing something, when you retire, or when you give up a voluntary position that you held for a long time, that risk of who will I be now? How will I manage not having that important title or people relying on me? The risk of starting a relationship. The risk of choosing a health intervention. Will I have it? Well, I'm not. What are the risks of those things? The risk of talking honestly with a friend or a family member about something that's troubling you or something that you can see happening in them. So many risks we take. One of the reasons that we can take those risks as a people of faith is because of the content of that very convoluted reading this morning. It gets me every time. When I looked at it, I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to preach on that? Because it's you gave them to me, and I gave them to you, and you gave this, and they're in the world, and they're not in the world, and I'm not in the world, and all this. And it just goes around and around in circles. But then when I looked in the middle of it, and I've always known it's Jesus' prayer, and it comes just before he was arrested. So it's his final kind of shot. But I think we can make a pretty basic assumption that if Jesus is praying to God and asking for things, then God's going to give those things. Would that be reasonable? If Jesus is actually asking, God will give. And Jesus is asking for his disciples, but by extension for us, that we will be protected. So when we are faced with taking a risk, we can stand in the fact that God has answered Jesus' prayer and we are protected. So that's something we can hold on to when life feels tough and the choice feels difficult. Jesus asked, God answered, we are protected. Jesus asked that God would guard the disciples. He asked that they would be sanctified or set apart. So those things are true for us. Sometimes we feel like we still have to ask for them, but actually Jesus asked on our behalf and God gave those things for us. We are protected. We are guarded. We are sanctified. And he also asked that his joy would be complete in the disciples. So for us, joy is in us. And joy is ours. Sometimes we forget, but it is given to us. It's ours. And we only need to claim it and not actually ask for it again. So from that very complex reading, if we can just take those words of encouragement and assurance that no matter what we face, no matter the choices we have to make, no matter the low points that we have to go to and the high points that we enjoy, God protects, God guards, 
God sanctifies, and God has given us the joy that was in Jesus. There's a really nice um, Teze chant, one of my favourites, and the words are, Nothing can trouble, nothing can frighten. Those who seek God shall never go wanting. Nothing can trouble, nothing can frighten. God alone fills us.